amazing. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you. Good. Uh, what well, just an amazing time together. And, and I, wanna, I do want to remind you real quick that, that this is just the beginning of our, our Christmas week. So the enemy tried to mess some things up, and we're going to turn it for good in Jesus' name. More people are going to see the Christmas carol experience and get saved than ever before. And uh, so, so for experiences, make sure that you do hop online and get your tickets. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. What, what person are you talking about, Pastor? The person tried to yell at a world changer. Why do I need tickets to come to church? I'm telling you, just one week, but you need a ticket. You need a ticket. So uh, make sure you hop on. And then our Christmas Eve service, I, I feel like what we, what, a little bit of what we experienced, I feel in my spirit is getting ready to be released over this community. And I think the Lord is going to use Christmas Eve as a part of this. Make sure you come out, get the word out, stay in your car, keep the heater going, bring a lawn chair, but it's going to be over across the street at the village parking lot, Christmas at multiplychurch.com. It'll be on your app, all of that stuff, and make, um, make yourself available to that. At this time, a little bit of an unusual experience that brought this, but Lake Norman, we want to welcome you back to, to video and uh, just for, for one week only. But Concord, can you give a shout out to Lake Norman? Lake Norman, we love you. So excited that you're with us. God's doing amazing things out there. Pastor Zach is bringing the heat, bringing the word in an amazing way, getting ready to build a new building in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, just miracle after miracle, and we're so excited. Yeah, go ahead. Let's celebrate all that God is doing out there. Here's what I want to preach to you. Here's what I want to preach. I want to give you a word of hope. I want to preach a word about finding hope in unlikely places, finding hope in unlikely places. I don't know about you, but I enjoy finding things, finding things, especially things in unlikely places. I got a text a couple of weeks ago from friends. I'm going to tell their names because I asked permission to tell their, the story. They, they've, uh, one just came out of heart surgery and, and different things, but John, they're joining us online right now, John and Mary Velser. And I got a, a text from Mary Velser, and she said, Pastor, I just got to tell you this is how good God is. John lost his wallet. And if you've lost your wallet or keys or something essential like that, you know how stressful that can be. And they looked everywhere. They looked in you know, couch cushions and bedrooms and drawers and, and cars and everything. And, and John, during the middle of the night, John, um, the Lord gave him a dream. The Lord gave him a dream and showed him exactly where his wallet was. He woke up, walked to the drawer. They had looked in this drawer before. Top drawer pulls it out, and it was under actually a stack of prayer cloths. He moves the prayer cloths, and there, is wall there was his wallet right where, right where God showed him in the dream. Now, now watch this. Mary, but Mary, you got to know Mary. Mary. Mary says, Pastor, there were actually three miracles. There were three miracles. Miracle number one is that John actually remembered the dream. Her, her, her words, not mine. Number, number two, the second miracle, she said, was that John obeyed the dream. And then the third miracle was the finding of the wallet. But I enjoy finding things in unlikely places. This doesn't happen nowadays so much, but remember when we used to carry something called 
cash. There were dollar bills and there were coins and they were greenish in color. And what happened is you walked to the register and you exchanged an item for this cash, for this money. I know now we tap and we swipe and we do all of that kind of fun stuff and we click and then the Amazon delivery driver shows up. But we used to exchange cash. And, and so I remember, do you remember in the cash days when you would put on a coat that you hadn't worn in a long time and you'd reach your hand into the pocket and there'd be like a $20 bill. I mean, it might as well have been a thousand. Like when you found your like extra, extra Chick-fil-A that day or whatever it was. But, but I love finding things in unlikely places. Matthew chapter two, beginning at verse one, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some of the wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem saying, where, where is he? Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, but King Herod, and we have come to worship him, but King Herod was deeply disturbed. I find it interesting that the wise men, and I'm not mad at the wise men, I would have went to the same place, but the wise men, they were leaning into the Holy Spirit. They obviously knew the scriptures. They knew the signs of the times. They were able to read the, the, the stars and, and, and not in a, a, a weird uh, astrologer way, but in, a, in a, a scientific way. And so they, were, they knew they were just learned men in, in a lot of ways, but, but they showed up at the wrong place, didn't they? But I, but I can't be mad at them because I got to tell you, if I was looking for a king, if I was looking for a ruler, I, w- I would have went to the palace too. I mean, I know it doesn't say that exactly, but you can draw those dots together, together pretty quickly, right? They went to King Herod, knew, knew about it. He was the first one to respond. They were looking for the new king. And so where else would a king be born except for the palace? And so they went to the palace. And, and what you have to know about this palace, when you read the Bible, all of the different Herods can be confusing, but there's different Herods. There was Herod the Great, and he was on the throne up until about three years before Jesus was born. And then there was Herod Antipas that was on the throne during all of this that we're reading. And then later in the book of Acts, there's different Herods. But these Herods would pour enormous amount of money and enormous amount of resources into the palace. Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, described the palace as wondrous. It was this ornate and beautiful structure. And so, of course, the wise men would go to the place that if I was looking for a king, if you were looking for hope, if you were looking for joy, if you were looking for power, if you were looking for for meaning and life, and you went to Jerusalem that was the capital city of Judea. Judea was not very large by landmass standards. It was about 580 square miles. Rhode Island in comparison is about 1,080. So Judea uh, about half the size of Rhode Island. And so they go to Jerusalem and they go to the palace. But here's what I find very interesting is that what they were looking for wasn't in the place where they thought that they would find it. And, and, and I just want I just wonder if 2020 has not exposed the emptiness of the palace all over again. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. The palace, I believe, represented three things. Number one, it represented money. It represented money. It was made in many ways of this white marble, this ornate stone. And so it was a symbol of the wealth of the nation. It was a symbol of the wealth of King Herod, of the ruler of that time. The second thing that I believe that King Herod's palace represented was entertainment. 
Why do you say that it represented entertainment? Because they just did some archaeological work, some more archaeological work on the palace. So if you had visited this area, and I've never, I've never been, so I don't know how much of the palace is there today and how much you can see, but they just uncovered several years ago some more of this palace, and it had a private 300-seat theater in it. You know that if a home has a private movie theater in it, you're like, that's kind of a nice home. And, and, and so a private 300-seat personal theater. The third thing that I believe that Herod's, Herod's palace represents is, is power. Money and entertainment and power. This power was actually not a good sign. It was a bad sign. Because what was God's desire for the nation of Israel? He said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to form you into my people. And I'm going to put in your presence a, a tabernacle first and then a temple, which is a symbol that I'm in charge. You don't need a king. But Israel wanted to be like the world. Can I tell you that good things do not happen when God's people try to be more like the world? Never, tur- never turns out good. But you have money and entertainment and power, money and entertainment and power. And the wise men came and they found the palace empty. They found the palace empty. And that's what I believe in many ways. That's what 2020 has done is it has exposed before our very eyes the emptiness of the palace. It has exposed the idols that we have built in this country. It has exposed the idol of money. It has exposed the idol of our entertainment culture and it is exposed and all of these things I thought I would find hope in power pastor no it has exposed those idols do you remember let's do a quick rewind let me take you back to March 15th and you thought you were going to retire on March 12th and on March 15th you're like I'm going to have to work 25 more years because the stock market went from 30,000 down to 18,000 and I know it's back up Praise God. I'm not mad at the stock market being back up. I'm very thankful for that. But I'm telling you what this pandemic did is it exposed the worldwide volatility of what we're putting our faith in. Money will never bring you joy, will never bring you happiness, will never bring you satisfaction in our life. It exposed our entertainment culture. I knew this was serious. I was on a plane to London. I was all settled in. I was doing some work. David Dukason, a good friend of mine, preached here in August, was on the other side. The plane lifted off, and he came over and said, Doug, the NBA has just shut down. I knew this pandemic was serious when the NBA shut down. Who would have thought that something would have shut all of Hollywood down for a season, all of the NBA, all of the uh, moved college football, moved the NFL. I'm telling you, I'm not mad at these things, but when you put them above God, they become idols. And what God said, see, God God did not cause the pandemic, but he'll use the pandemic to tear down idols in our culture, and our entertainment culture is an idol. And then he's exposing power. And basically what the Lord is saying is who who you think is in control. Do you hear this, church? Do you hear this 2,000 years ago? God said, who you think is in control is not in control. Can I tell you that who we think is in control in this country is not in control? That God's still in control. The King of Kings is still in control. 
the emptiness of the palace has been exposed. What happens when the thing that you thought was going to bring you joy, was going to bring you happiness, was going to be, bring you meaning in your life, and it isn't what you thought? You walk around with disappointment and you walk around with disillusionment. Let me ask you this. Have you ever unwrapped a gift on Christmas morning and, and what you thought it was, it wasn't? Don't, here, hey, hey let, me, let me help you out, husbands especially. If this has happened um, and you've kept this a secret for 10 years, you're like, now's the time to tell my wife. No, it's not. You bury, <laughs> bury it deeper. Just bury it. Okay, this is not the time to be honest, and we'll walk through the theology of that later. But, but, has that ever happened? Like, I don't know, are y'all, are, are y'all people that put your presents under the tree as you wrap them? Who, do, who does that? You put them, like, as you, how many of you put them out uh, uh, Christmas Eve? You put them out, so most of you put them out as you wrap them. Have you ever, you kind of, first part of the week, you're, you're walking by that, and you're like, that box is about the size of the exact thing that I want. That box, that little small box, it's about the size of the necklace. It's about the size of the of the bracelet. It's about the size of, and then and then and then somebody's somebody you know they're out of the house, and so you're walking around more, and and then you you, you yield to the temptation. You go down, you pick it up, and you're like, it's about the weight. It's about the weight of that thing. And then on Christmas morning, and you're imagining that necklace going around your neck, and you're going to lean over to your, to your husband, and you say, oh, thank you so much. You can go wipe away a little, a little tear, and you open that up, and, and it's the size, and it's the weight, but it's a wallet. <laughs> and all the hope drains and disillusionment comes up and all those hints that you've been dropping. You've been dropping all those hints for that time. And now you have to walk around and you have to smile and you have to nod and you're crying, but it's not a good tear. And, and you're just, you're just, and, and, and so this is, this is what happens. Watch, watch Herod's response. See, this is what's happening in our culture right now. This is what's happening. People are walking around and they're disillusioned and they're disappointed, but they're just trying to mask it. They don't want to admit, oh, I put everything that I had into that job and now I don't even know that I'm going to have that job. I put everything that I had into that political uh, uh, candidate. I put everything that I had into. And now the thing that they put their hope into has been exposed and they don't know how to respond. Now watch this. How did King Herod respond? How did King, what was King Herod's first response? It was anger. It was anger because when you don't know what to do with the disappointment and disillusionment in your life, it turns to anger. If you could describe our culture right now, would not one of the top three things that you would describe them angry? Wouldn't, wouldn't, or just, but they don't even know, hear me, hear me, lean into this. They don't even know why they're angry. They don't even know why, but, they, but I'm telling you why. I'm telling you why is because they would put their hope in something and it was empty. The palace was empty. 
empty and everything that they've been living for is a lie and it's been exposed and so now they're angry and they're walking around I don't know I'm just I'm just angry and so I'm gonna lash out at whoever see who you lash out at is not necessarily who you're angry at who you lash out at is just who's closest in your circle and so we just start lashing out and we have this society that is angry and what God is doing is he is tearing down he's tearing down idols right before our eyes the idols are come crashing down think about this if somebody heard that something significant was going to happen in the United States of America and you got brought all of these foreign dignitaries because who were the wise men who were the wise men they were foreign dignitaries and so they went to Judea and they went to Jerusalem Because Jerusalem should have had the answer. And so if somebody, if this group of foreign dignitaries got word that something significant was going to happen in America, where would they go? Where would they go? The same place that they went 2,000 years ago. They would go to the center of money. They would go to the center of entertainment. And they would go to the center of power. They would go to New York City. Wall Street. It's got to be Wall Street. This has to be about money. Or they would go out to Hollywood. It's got to be in the entertainment culture. Hollywood, the entertainment culture has to have the answer. They would go to Washington, D.C. looking for political power. And that's got to be the answer. And God is reminding us. He's reminding us right now in the United States states of america that new york city is not in charge he's reminding us that hollywood hollywood and all your lies you're not in charge you're not in charge washington dc you are not in charge jesus is still in charge he's reminding us that the palace is empty the palace is empty the palace is empty you say pastor what do i do what do i do when the palace is empty when everything around me has been exposed King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born in Bethlehem in Judea? They said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least why did the prophet had to say that it wasn't the least because watch this it was considered the least in the book of the 100 most influential cities in the city in the province of judah in the book of joshua bethlehem doesn't even get a mention that's how insignificant it was that's how off the radar it was that's how off the map it was so the prophet says this and you O bethlehem in the land of judah are not the least among the ruling cities of judah for a ruler will come up from you who is to be the shepherd of my people israel here's what the lord is doing in your life what if this year What if this year was God stripping everything away just to bring you back to the manger? What if he's just trying to bring you back to Jesus? What if he's just trying to bring you back to the simplicity of Jesus, of that baby in a manger? Here's something really interesting about Herod the Great. Herod the Great, the Herod before Herod Antipas, the one that was on the throne at the time that Jesus was born. But I just read this. So that that 300-seat theater, the reason that archaeologists just found that theater, isn't that kind of strange, 2,000 years later, and they discovered the rest of the palace, but there was part of the palace that was hidden. There was part of the palace that was buried. Here's why, is that when Herod the Great, when Herod the Great was nearing death, he said, I want to be buried in my palace. 
I want to be buried. And when I read that, I thought, yeah, he wants to be buried in the palace. He wants a tombstone in the courtyard or something like that. No, that's not what it was talking about. He literally wanted to bury the entire palace. Herod was basically saying this. Yeah, I know it's empty, but I'm going to... I'm going to go down with my palace. And I'm telling you, my heart hurts for people right now that the idol of money and entertainment and power has been exposed in their life, but they're responding with a stubborn heart and say, I don't care. I'm going down with my palace. And they're going to be buried in your palace. Can I preach this to somebody? You don't have to be buried in your palace. There's still a manger. There's still a manger. If you'll just kneel, if you'll just kneel at the manger and say yes to Jesus, if you'll just get rid of your idols and say yes to Jesus, If you'll just be like the wise men and come from afar and say, Jesus, I don't understand everything, but I'll worship you all that I have. I give to you. Take everything else. I just want to worship at a manger in Bethlehem. What if that's what this Christmas is about? Is bringing us back to Jesus. So with heads bowed and eyes closed in this place. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is not by accident that you stumbled across this live stream. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's not by accident that you were brought into the house today. Or maybe you have a relationship with him, but you found yourself drawn back to the emptiness of the palace. And you would say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to worship him. I want to find life, find freedom, find family, find purpose. And that is found in the name of Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment, and this will be the most important prayer that you've ever prayed to go from death to life. And so as I pray this out loud, I want everybody in the house to repeat this, and you repeat this after me. Mean it in your heart, and Jesus will be your Savior. Come on, church, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Take away my idols. I come to Jesus today, forsaking all else, and I kneel before him. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to come into my life, so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose in Jesus'
Yeah. 